It's upfront and it's candid. This is Unrestricted. What's going on, everybody? Ben Lieber here back for another week on Unrestricted. I want to thank everybody for supporting Unrestricted, especially last week when I had the great Kyle Rudolph on. Um, we got a, a lot of attention because of his honesty and everything that he said. And just uh, thank you all for for talking about it, for starting the conversation, and for, for listening. Uh, this week, uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. As you know, on this podcast, I don't want this to be all about sports. I want it to be uh, a lot of things that I'm interested in and I think that I find other people are interested in. And we're talking technology this week, specifically with when it comes to the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Where are we as a tech hub? Can we and will we become the next Silicon Valley? Can we become like an Austin, Texas, where... Um, you know, this is a place for innovation with all the bright minds and the big companies. And uh, there are a lot of uh, companies that kind of go under the radar that were started here in Minnesota. And sort of what's the pulse? What's the what's the temperature of that that sector um, within our state? And, and for that, I brought in Reed Robinson. Uh, Reed is the CEO of Groove Capital. Uh, they are a capital company in which they help startup companies. It's sort of a venture capital fund along with an angel investor arm to it as well. And uh, he's worked in the business for over a decade. Uh, he went to the Carlson School of Business at the University of Minnesota, uh, became an entrepreneur himself, uh, knows the entrepreneur world, knows the tech world, and created this fund because he knows that there is a gap between idea generation and getting things uh proof of concept and into the market. And so he created Groove Capital and he really, um, he did a great job of educating all of us on where we are in Minnesota with with tech, uh, where we are with entrepreneurship, uh, what this market is really good at and where it can, it can get better. And I found it uh, super fascinating because I, I do believe that this can become a, not only just a, a tech hub, uh, but I also think this is, this is a great place and a great space for for just big ideas in in whatever industry and sector that there is, but this one specifically is about the tech industry. So uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. I really appreciate Reed and his time, and for being right here on Unrestricted. Well, good to see you, Reed. Man, how you doing, man? I'm great. Yeah, it's good I'm, to be here. I'm glad you're here. Um, now, for everybody out there, you are the the CEO founder of of Groove Capital. That's right. Um, Catchy name. Thank I, you. I like it. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like, I think I, I know the meaning of it after the research that I've done. Okay. Um, but I'll have you explain what exactly do you do okay. and what is Groove Capital? Okay. Um, I appreciate uh, the, the affinity for the name. It took a while to land on it, quite honestly. Really? It did. I had a lot of ideas. I didn't like the name originally. And then after a while, just kind of like really grew on me. And now I love it. Um, it it makes a lot of sense for exactly what I'm trying to do and who I'm trying to support. But uh, taking a step back, what is Groove Capital? Groove Capital is where entrepreneurs in Minnesota go to get their first institutional investment. So an entrepreneur of a startup, a startup that has scalability, uh, comes to Groove Capital. We learn a little bit about them and then you know, if they fit the criteria that we're looking for, we make an investment. And so Groove Capital is uh, 
a combination of what would be a traditional venture firm um, with an angel group. And I can elaborate on what both of those things are, uh, but Groove Capital is really a combination of the two, and, and there was a reason why I put, put it together in the way that I did. And Groove is, is sort of fitting and filling um, a need in this, in this area and with, within the Twin Cities. Yeah. Like you're, you're one of the very few that do this, right? If, if maybe the only one that does this particular sort of investing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Groove Capital and the, and the impetus for bringing it together was really kind of comes down to two things. Uh, number one, me staring a problem in the face for 10 plus years and just wondering why there was nobody who was going to fix it. Uh, and then eventually realizing that that person was probably me that needed to do that. Um, and then secondly, seeing so many amazing founders uh, creating these incredible businesses uh, and knowing that there was a great opportunity uh, from an investment perspective to, to be alongside of them and give them the capital that they need to grow their businesses. And so um, those two motivations kind of combined is what ultimately led to the uh, launch of Groove Capital. So on a larger scale, what really is the quote-unquote problem here in Minnesota and the Twin Cities when it comes to uh, entrepreneurs, small businesses, startups? What is the actual problem? Yeah, so I think everywhere you go, you're uh, regardless of the market and the conditions, you're going to find entrepreneurs who say that there's not enough capital. And, you know, that's the nature of trying to start something and convince people to, you know, to give you their first check Eat, or, or, or be their first customer or whatever. Like nobody wants to be the first to a party, right? right. Um, and so- I know my wife doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, <laughs> you know, kind of knowing that and, and reflecting on that for this market, you really have to dig down and to really fully understand what is the problem that we have that is actually real and, and, and how can we better understand it? And so- I spent some time researching that to really investigate, okay, what was the issue that we talk about when we say there's a lack of early stage capital? And in my conclusion, um, I can, and I can tell you how I got there, my, my conclusion was it's really actually two problems. There isn't an institutional vest investor, a, you know, a formal entity that is focusing on you know, being the first institutional check. Um, most of them are larger and later stage investors. So they get involved after there's been traction, performance, a lot of data that you can look at and rely on. That's where a majority of uh, Minnesota, or the Twin Cities investors tend to focus. Uh, so Because you want to be proven, right? I mean, it's a, it's a risky investment, I would think, that if somebody comes to me and says, hey, friends and family around, got a great product, would like some an injection of capital, and I say, yeah, here's money, but what? I don't know if this is going to be a proven product or exactly, idea. yeah, and and so that decision becomes maybe more confident, arguably maybe more easy to to make when you have the trend lines that are pointing exactly in the direction that you're looking for. You know, it doesn't make those investments necessarily any less risky, but the risk has been, you know, reduced or minimized with evidence. Uh, and so that's where a majority 
of uh, the areas investors tend to to put a maj- most of their their funding, uh, and we actually do have great uh, investors at that stage. What I wanted to do is is with Groove Capital is is be the precursor for that and be willing to take a little bit more of a risk. Um, identify identify those teams and those qualities that were being overlooked and come a stage earlier to identify, okay, who's going to be the most successful and how do we put them on this roadmap to get that later stage funding? So problem number one, institutional investors basically being, you know, one or two stages further down the road and therefore founders kind of getting stuck in a space where, you know, how do I get from A to B when there's nobody, you know, willing to support me through that? The second issue is, okay, in entrepreneurial ecosystems, which is just a fancy word for like community, in startup communities, the fallback uh, from an investment perspective uh, can be angels uh, and angel investors. And, and angels are individuals, not entities that are identifying great companies to support. It's the friends and family around yeah, that you talked about. Just a high net worth individual that high net worth says, individual. wants to take a chance on you. That's right. And uh, – when you dig into the data, what we discovered is uh, we don't have that many of those either. Uh, so we really? have we it, it's. I mean, aren't, aren't we kind of known for having a a community of really big Fortune five hundred and Fortune one hundred companies in the Twin Cities, and it, we don't have a lot of angel investors? That's what's that's what's so frustrating about this. Quite honestly, is you know we we have an incredible business community here, uh, not just corporate, but also, uh, you know, technology founders who've had their own successes, small business owners that, that are, that are you know, su- supporting the various services that we all uh, are customers of. We have this incredibly, like, rich and diverse uh, business climate. But the problem is a uh, majority of those people are not paying any attention to what's happening in the startup world. Hmm. And and as I've kind of had conversations with these high net worth individuals, I think the fallacy that a lot of people talk about is maybe we just don't have the appetite for risk here. Uh, and, and, and maybe there's, you know, something with our culture that we're just not re- willing to tolerate, you know, the risk of angel investing. And Quite honestly, I think it's bogus. I, I think the reality is is people invest where they made money themselves. They, yeah, that makes sense. And and they don't know that that there's an alternative. Right. Uh, so what what I've been trying to do and and have been making a lot of progress on with with Groove Capital is how do we address the awareness issue, right? Because if you've gotten to a point financially where you know you've taken care of the four hundred one ks, like you figured out. Uh, how to support your kids through through their tu- their their tuition um, and all of the other elements of the assets that are their portfolio. Like you probably get to a point where you run out of like, well, I, I don't know if I should put more money into this thing. Like, what else is out there? Mm-hmm. And so for those people, it's my crusade to 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 find them and say like, listen, there's a there's a new there, there's not a new, but there's an alternative way to to support. Uh, or, or to put your money to work. And the difference in angel investing versus all of the other assets that you invest in is, hey, you, like we can sit down and have a coffee together. You know, what asset do you know that you can do that? 
none. Like you, you, you can have a relationship with your investment. You can mentor them. You can coach them. If, if you're, you know, from the same industry, you can provide, you know, everything that you've learned to help them in their success. And that's just a very different and very tangible uh, way that you can use your money to support people down the street versus, you know, those on Wall Street. Right. So this is actually a pretty – you're coming at this from two ways, if I understand this correctly. You're filling – this void that we have in the in the state in the community where there's not enough funding for really early early companies that just are in the pre-seed phase and they really just need a small injection of capital just to see what's see what's next and see where they can get their product to go um, but also there's a lot of high net worth individuals that even if they are interested in putting their money someplace else so yeah. in the stock market or whatever um, they don't know where to. They don't even know where to look. They don't even know what's out there. Yep. So you can educate the high net worth individuals. Right. Take some of that risk away and say, like, hey, we as a company, we're we're researching these companies. Yeah. We're doing all the legwork. Right. We're doing all the due diligence, and and through our our criteria and our check system, here's the group of companies that we think that would be safe to invest into. We can do that work for you. We just need your mo- we just need your money that you were going to put into something anyway. Am yeah, I understand that correctly? It, it, it is, and there's a few a few like nuances in that. The uh, where I got the data from, um, you know, our our lack of active angels comes from. There's a program that the state runs called the Minnesota Angel Tax Credit, and the way that that tax credit works is. If you, as a high net worth individual, invest in a qualified business, according to the state, you know, the state blesses this business, is, you know, qualifies. If I make a $100,000 investment in that year, I get $25,000 credit back in, uh, for my taxes for that year, which is pretty remarkable mm-hmm. because in most cases, like, if you're going to angel invest, you're likely going to lose your cash. Uh, you know, that's what the, the laws of investing suggest. So to have a program like this in place that reduces the the risk that you're involving by by giving you a, a cash incentive, uh, it makes it easier for you to make that decision. So I studied this program, um, and what I found was 75% of the people that use this never do it again. So hmm. they, they only use it once. Uh, and my hypothesis of why that is is a lot of people get invited into angel investing in a way that they're not set up for success. Uh, so Groove Capital uh, is really focusing on creating a platform that can invite those people in and just say, like, first of all, do this with other smart people because if you're surrounding yourself with other people who know these industries and can come at this decision in a different way, you're going to be smarter by doing so. Secondly, like, have a system like, what are you looking for? What is your criteria? How do you want to evaluate this? And how do you want to look at these companies? Uh, and then lastly, like, build it from a diversification perspective. And I think that that last part might be a big part of the reason why uh, that we see so many people not using that program um, more than once is because they probably took their $50,000, they put it in some high flyer you know, nephew or neighbor or, you know, former colleague's business and it evaporated. And, you know, if you have a bad experience on your first try, like what's your likelihood you're going to do it right. again? Um, so 
you know, we really want to create a space that can, you know, set investors who desire to do this type of stuff um, onto a platform that just makes it easy and builds confidence. But you know what? I have to thank my sponsors because without them, none of this is truly possible. So first off, I want to thank Douglas and Todd Bourbon. I've been with you guys for a long time, and I appreciate you sponsoring this podcast if you don't know Douglas and Todd Bourbon by now, well, shame on you. It is a gold medal winning bourbon made right here in the great state of Minnesota. It's distilled in Osakis, Minnesota. It is bottled in Princeton, Minnesota. And it is sold not only here in this great state of Minnesota and regionally, but all over the country. It won a gold medal last year, actually 2018, at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition it was up against the best bourbons in the world, and it won a gold medal. So it's not just some kitschy, super fun, nice, cute, oh, how cute that Minnesota made a bourbon. No, this bourbon is legit, this bourbon is for real, and this bourbon is gold medal winning bourbon. So thank you so much, Douglas and Todd Bourbon. Please enjoy responsibly 21-plus bourbon whiskey, 46.5% alcohol by volume, produced and bottled by Ed Phillips and Sons Company, Princeton, Minnesota. I also want to thank Pick and Shovelware, pickandshovelware.com. They have unique and creative apparel featuring all the Minnesota sports teams, the Loon, the Wild, the Wolves, Twins, Vikings, Gophers, even the Minnesota Chill. That's the uh, the ultimate disc team that's sort of new and up and coming. They offer shirts, hoodies, hats. They even have baby clothes. They have these little onesies that are super fun. And what they do is they pay homage or homage to current and former sports legends across the leagues. Basically, each and every design uh, just starts a conversation. And it kind of makes you smile because it, uh, it, it elicits these memories and these great moments in Minnesota sports. For instance, every time I wear my Jimmy Kleinsaucer shirt, which is new, and, and a lot of them are sold out and they're getting more. So just hang in there. Go to pickandshovelware.com and you can get yours. But my Jimmy Kleinsaucer shirt, every time I wear it, I get questions. Hey, where did you get that? Hey, who made that? Or it's just like, Jimmy, love that dude. He was one of my favorite Vikings players of all time, and now uh, we get to honor him with a T-shirt. Those proceeds go to the West Tonka Food Shelf, so there's a, a little feel-good with that as well. Head over to PickAndShovelware.com, check out their uh, all their great stuff, and type in the promo code LEBER, L-E-B-E-R, for 20% off your first order. So, last but not least, Wexford Harbor Insurance. I know what you're thinking. Insurance? What? Insurance is kind of boring. Well, guess what? It kind of is boring, but it's needed. I sat down with my buddy, Pat Kelly. I had been with big box retailer insurance companies my basically my whole life and just thought, hey, their insurance is probably good enough for me. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Pat sat down, educated me on sometimes those big blanket insurance companies leave kind of gaps in your individual coverage with your, with your home, your auto all of your personal property, your umbrella insurance, all of that stuff. It's not always the best fit when it comes to your individual family. And that's kind of what I learned as well is that, hey, maybe these big box insurance companies don't fit me and my family and our individual needs. And he's able, because he's an independent agent, to search 40 different types of companies 
to find out what's best for you. And by doing that, he finds the best value for you, the best coverage for you, and the best price for you. So now, if I ever need insurance, which I hope I don't, I'm going to be 100% stress-free knowing that I'm well taken care of and I'm getting it for a great price. So for all your home and auto and commercial needs, go to wexford-harbor.com slash unrestricted to find out more information. And Harbor is H-A-R-B-O-U-R, sort of the old English spelling of Harbor. Or you can just email them at info at wexford-harbor.com. Now, back to the show. So you're you're basically, you're setting up sort of a mutual fund of, investments that you wouldn't otherwise even know existed. So you're kind of mitigating people's risks. Like you're not investing in just one company. You can invest in multiple companies. So if one fails, you might have the success of another one making it. Yeah. So the the, the strategy that you're describing is, is a part of the thesis for the Groove Capital Fund. Mm-hmm. And then what the Groove Capital Fund is, is, you know, investors looking to gain access to this type of investment who also want diversity, I'm building into the strategy. So in, in within three years, the plan is to invest in 50 plus companies, which is a lot. Um, and so the, the reason that I came to that conclusion on that being the best strategy for the, the stage that we're investing in is by studying my own data and by studying uh, other fund constructions. And what I've concluded that is that if you're going to invest at this pre-seed stage, which I'm going to come back to in just a second, you really have to make sure that you've got chips placed on as many bets as possible. Yeah, It's a different strategy. Like you, you're not trying to put it on yourself to identify who's going to be the next Google. You just want to make sure you've got a chip placed on that company in case it does. Right. Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit of a different methodology, but simultaneously, it's something we're all familiar with because we already do that with our other investment uh, assets, right? Like we're in mutual funds. Yeah. Why doesn't a mutual fund or an index like exist for startups? Uh, and that's, you know, essentially what we're trying to build with Groove on the fund side of things. On the uh, angel side of things, the way that they work uh, together is, um, for some investors that desire to make some of their own investments, like the fund makes the investments on the fund side of things. I make those decisions. I build a portfolio. Everybody benefits. Um, on, the, on the angel side of things, for, for investors in the fund um, who meet certain qualifications, they have the ability to invest on top of that. So as the deals are coming through the fund, uh, the limited partners in the fund have the opportunity to invest uh, in the companies that they're most excited about. So let's say I'm a medical device expert um, and Groove Capital has decided, hey, we want to su- support this company. Here's all the information that we've gathered. Here's the team. You know, we've got a Zoom call next week. Jump on. And if you like what you see and you want to put another twenty five, fifty thousand into this company, go for it. Here's the here's the way to do it, and so uh, the the model that I've created is 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 also a little different. Um, it's new to the Twin Cities. It's not new to other places. Like hmm. this is something that exists, um, and that combination exists in other places. And thankfully, we've got the you know number of quality uh, companies that can support it. So, and this is all basically tech-minded companies, correct? I mean, it's not like you're. You're investing or looking at um, 
a new restaurant. No. Yeah, uh, this isn't just like a small business type of thing. This is just tech-specific. Yeah, and let's let's dig into what pre-seed means too because I think when a lot of people first get introduced to uh, early-stage investing means something different to everyone, and so does pre-seed. And and to be clear, we're not interested in ideas on napkins, right? If you have a friend (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I'm thinking of one right now that pitches the worst business ideas to me regularly. That's not who we're looking to support. Uh, it's, it's really, you know. But there's a need. Y- Reed. Yeah. Everybody wants Wouldn't it be amazing? If, napkins. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it, the reality is, is, is it takes time uh, to build a business. And we want to see with the investments that we're making that you've put in some level of sacrifice to build a plan and to show that you can execute. Uh, and that takes, you know, anywhere from six months to a year. Uh, so a lot of the people that we'll probably end up supporting are either working nights and weekends on this thing and are looking to go full time, or they recently did. Um, and they've, you know, put in uh, and invested their their own time and their own resources uh, to build something that we can look at. And that could be a product, that could be a service. And then to your other comment of, is it all tech enabled? I would make the argument like, what isn't these days? Um, But uh, we're not interested in food trucks. We're not interested in restaurants. The the types of businesses that make sense for a, a venture investment have to have the ability to produce the 10x, 100x return uh, in order for us to be comfortable with the risks that we're taking. So the scalability and the, the plan and their, the, the entrepreneur's desire to take over the world, like that's what we want to see mm-hmm. uh, because that, make, that produces a, uh, the return that we're looking for based on the risks that we're taking. Yeah, which, which makes sense. I mean, why, if you're going to go through the work why not try to get as as much on your return as possible? And food trucks probably not going to be 10, 20 yeah. on your investment. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, some great... know, maybe over the course of like, you know, 10, 20 years or something like that. But uh, yeah. if you find a product um, like a medical device company that gets FDA approval and then all of a sudden in five years, you've got, you know, maybe even, you know, 30x or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's important not to like belittle the types of companies that people create because there are entrepreneurs of every flavor, right? Oh, and, yeah, and man. So, it's, like, it's a hard thing to do. Product-based businesses, lawn mowing services, restaurants and food trucks, like we need to see all of that. That's all a part of this community flexing its muscle in, in being entrepreneurial. And, and I would make an argument that that's who we are and that's what our DNA is. Um, we need to see... But we need to see more of it, and we kind of need to return to who we've always been. And that's the part that's been confusing about, you know, my experience in, in, in my own entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey is, is feeling like at some point in time we had this incredible legacy of world-changing uh, businesses that we were developing here, and then it just kind of stopped. Uh, and, and now thankfully, uh, over the last, you know, 10, maybe 15 years, I think the return and like awakening has, has been slowly building. And now it's to a point where something like a groove capital could exist 
where we're seeing the starts come again. We're seeing people taking risks, and we're seeing people set out to create the next Fortune 500 company, um, and that's exciting. So uh, I, I'm I think the timing of of this fund is 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 great. So it, can you can you trace back to why? And again, I go back to when I first when I first came to the Twin Cities back in 2006. Mm-hmm. You know, at at that time, it was all about just what's the most important thing next. I mean, I was moving to a new city, and I and had to find a home and all this other stuff. And I was focused on football, and that was the first one. I, I really didn't care much about learning about the city until kind of the, the as the years kind of clicked by. And then I right. started to, you know, get to know my neighbors and what they do. And it's like, oh, like my one neighbor works at Clorox, Clorox Company. I'm like, oh, cool. That's really cool. I mean, obviously a big brand. Like, what do you do? And, um, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, General Mills, Ecolab, Target, Best Buy. And you're like, holy shit, man. Like, I guess I never realized the big companies that are in this, in this area, in this market. But then you make the comment that, yes, we're a community of innovation and big companies and people taking chances. And then it just sort of stopped. Yeah. Is there a reason why? I'm guessing there's multiple reasons why. Is it it governmental? Did we do something on the state side politically that this kind of like stopped this incubation of like, hey, we let's let's encourage these people to take chances. Right. I don't know the answer to the question, but if I had to hypothesize uh, at least one influence on that, I think it's because we did such a good job of building those companies in the first place. What I mean by that is like when you have that many Fortune 500 or 100 companies in one area, they're employing a lot of people. So I went to Carlson School at the University of Minnesota. That place manufactured people to work in those companies. When I was going into when I was going through Carlson, I studied entrepreneurship and finance. I was like a weird outcast kid that was not a part of the like community of Carlson kids. Like I was the weird guy. Why? Because there wasn't anybody that was interested in doing something else. There was a so you they know, just wanted to get a business degree just so they could go and work at one of the major corporations. I mean, and, not- and why would you not? Like it was a it was a very nice progression of like come here, study this, get this job and get paid super well. I was like, okay, great. Like I was weird in that I just looked at that and I'm like, I don't want to work at that company. I'd rather do something on my own. Like what should I do? Yeah. So you're like, give me the tools that I need to know from a business side so I can go out and do my own and do my own thing and feel like I've I've got the necessary like assets and tools at my disposal. Yeah. And and, uh, thankfully, um, I wasn't the only one. Like there was a, there was, I was super fortunate from a timing perspective that Carlson, you know, had the foresight to recognize that entrepreneurship needed training and development um, and, and introduced this program for people with the major that said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you all to come into this class. There's not a ton of structure. We don't really have this thing figured out, but we want you to come with, come up with ideas for businesses we want you to research them and pitch them against each other. And at the end of the semester, we're going to fund it. The university is going to back you, and you are going to launch a real business. And so this is my senior year. Up until that point, studying entrepreneurship was a complete joke. Like, hmm. you can't sit in a classroom and, and learn, you know, the strategies of entrepreneurship. You have to do it. I'm convinced. 
And so they gave us that opportunity to actually do that uh, through, you know, experiential learning. And, and my, my concept, uh, what ended up happening, my concept um, and another concept got down to the final two, and we decided that we were going to fund both of them. Uh, so I launched a company, uh, my friend launched a company, and then both companies just basically split the class and divided like, okay, you're in this group and you're in this group. And then we ran our businesses for the second semester. Um, and so I got a, I got a taste of what it was like and it completely changed my education. And I've been basically forever cursed with like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, I've never really looked back from that. But to my earlier comment about, you know, what what's different about that experience to what existed, that program was new. And, and, and everybody, all of our peers that were not in that class were marching right into Target, General Mills, uh, you know, Deloitte or some consulting uh, degree. And, and that was the norm. Um, this is back in 2006. Um, Thankfully, it's changed, uh, and and the, there's you know the balance has returned to the force, and you know Carlson, along with really every other university in town, has prioritized giving students the opportunity to learn by doing uh, in entrepreneurship. So St. Thomas has an amazing program. Um, McAllister has an amazing program. I think Augsburg is, is, is developing one. So everyone is recognizing like the importance of building entrepreneurship. And I think now that we'll have some time for this to develop, uh, we're going to see more and more of it. Uh, but taking a step back, okay, what does that mean to this, 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 uh, community in our business climate? If, for so long, we've been marching majority of our top talent into these positions. You know, that's just where all the talent gets absorbed. And once you're in a situation where you're, you know, senior level, making really good money with an incredible benefits, it's super hard to convince those people to, to, to let that go. And so if we were so good at creating multiple companies that were that were minting, you know, generations of these types of people. Like of course we're not going to be good entrepreneurs. We don't need to be. Yeah, it's true. Uh and so but you know, the course of of uh of life is like organization and chaos and organization and chaos. So like eventually it's going to come due where these companies may not may get too comfortable and and may not compete. Now all of a sudden people are losing jobs. Well, what are they going to do? They have to go back and like build new skills and try something different. And and I don't think losing a job is the only way to jump into entrepreneurship. I think what I've also seen from you know investors that I talk to for Groove, but also um, you know people who have have become founders is like they just get to a point in their career where they just don't find the same meaning in it. And so, but they they're excited about something else. They want to change something else and. And so there are defectors that, that, you know, join the ranks of, of, you know, the startup community and say, I'm, I'm going to roll the dice and do this. And that's the type of activity that we need to see more of. 
uh, and, and we need more resources like Groove to meet them when they do that mm-hmm. so that when they have their – when they come with their incredible industry experience, we've got the resources, not just capital, but also mentorship, education, service providers that can work with companies at that level, like that can surround these individuals and say like, let's go. Right. Um, so that's what, that's what it's about. So let me ask you sort of, and maybe this is an unanswerable question because it is so broad, but where are we at with technology specific? Let's say in this, in this area, we, we mentioned the big businesses when you're, when you're looking at companies that are, that are starting up, is there an, is there a certain sector of technology that's like, that's where that's where this world is going. Yeah. The the young minds and the people's minds see a void in this area and it's in this industry. Is is it that clear cut? Um and basically I guess the the question is what's the trend in technology right now? Yeah. It it it's very much uh based on the ingredients uh of your surroundings. And so the companies that we create here that do really well there's like fertile land for it. Um, and so by nature of like the ingredients that, that, that we're working with, and I'll come back to specific industries, like by nature, they, they produce companies that are more successful than others. And so as a specific example, uh, a healthcare uh, innovation, um, whether it's delivery or, or reimbursement or whatever the, the solution is that, that gets created, Oh, it turns out like we've got one of the most badass healthcare communities in the world. Like we've got the top payer, we've got the best, we've got the best uh, provider in the form of the Mayo Clinic, and we have these incredible uh, uh, technologists that are surrounding it that know it inside and out. And it's by the way, it's a super complicated industry that you can't just walk into. Oh, I'm sure filled with regulations and things exactly. like you have to know you have to know how it really works if you want to devise a new product or a software platform or some sort of file sharing platform. Right. So new. it's it's really hard for some somebody like a Silicon Valley to just say like we're going to be sweet at healthcare now. You can't just do that. Like you need expertise to surround it uh that that know the the constraints so that you're not constantly walking into landmines. And so there are industries that, that we have here where that's ripe for innovation that could be well supported, and that includes healthcare, um, enterprise sales, so basically the technologies that run businesses, um, fintech, ag tech. Um, Wait, so go back. Fintech, what is that? Financial services. Okay. Uh, ag tech is agricultural and food. Um, you know, development, manufacturing, and, and distribution. And that's because of like Cargill, General Mills. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point is is when you have uh, people that understand the businesses and understand the way that, you know, how to support them financially, how to operationalize them, um, the constraints of, of the game that you're playing, like the rules of that game, you can be successful. So the companies that I want to invest – have to be considerate of like, what can we do well here? So, you know, very specifically, like a a social network probably shouldn't be built here. You know, we just don't have the expertise to to support it. 
I could come in with, you know, $100,000 investment with group capital, but the likelihood of that converting and producing the return of a Facebook is so small. It, it's better, you know, I, I should use that $100,000 to go buy 100,000 lottery tickets uh, and, and have an well, equal shot. last week. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, like, I have to be mindful of, okay, what can be successful here? Um, and so there are industries that, that we're interested in be, and, and, you know, it's no surprise they match the industries that, you know, our corporate strengths and, uh, you know, reflect. And that makes, a, that makes a ton of sense. But then I also look at, so that's the, that's like the, the big industry side of things. But when I look at a retailer like Best Buy and like Target, yeah. um, there has to be some sort of innovation there as as well, and that's maybe not specific to just the the state of Minnesota and the Twin Cities, but there's got to be ways that there's some there's some tech innovation within the retail space as well. Big time. Um, I'll give you an example that Best Buy is working on. Um, you're familiar with Geek Squad, yeah? Okay, so Geek Squad's a great story. Um, it was a, a, a founder that started it, ultimately acquired by Best Buy. So it was a separate company. Uh, Best Buy bought it as its services arm uh, for all of the, you know, Wi-Fi routers and stuff that, that mm-hmm. we were all buying and didn't know how to set up. Um, so they're recognizing, okay, retail is shifting, pe- where people are buying, what they're buying, and, and what services are required to support those products is changing. And it always is. And, and so the risk for these companies is if you're not paying attention to that and anticipating those changes, you know, you get your lunch gets eaten by the startup that recognizes the opportunity. So they, it's on them to make sure that they're, they see where the puck is heading uh, and they anticipate these changes. And so one of the things that, that Best Buy is, is, is working on is they've got a super interesting combination of products that are healthcare related, you know, these digital blood pressure monitors or, or scales that uh, Fitbits that are producing all of this new healthcare data that, uh, you know, we just don't really know what to do with. Uh, and, and they're building a service using their, uh, their, their, their services platform, Geek Squad, to, to help people kind of set themselves up in a way that, you know, they're health systems and their health products can work and, and produce, you know, meaningful information. Uh, so that's super important because you can take an example where um, there's a, there are devices that places like uh, Boston Scientific and Medtronic produce that are, you know, cardiac rhythm monitors. And what that is, is basically, you know, a, a sensor that's embedded in your skin that reads your heartbeat and and monitors it remotely for a period of time. If I go in and I get this uh, implanted, I'm sent home with a box that basically is the same thing. Of, uh, it's the equivalent of a router. Okay. So if I'm 60, 65, 70 years plus, it's essentially like giving my parents who are, you know, aware of technology but are not super savvy with it. Mm-hmm. The instructions to say, hey, the super critical thing that's monitoring your life, yeah, go set this up. Like how are, you know, the, the risks involved in, in like, here's your box of technology, now go home and make sure it works. It's just such a crazy uh, 
is such a crazy experiment that you hope it goes well and it might, but sometimes it doesn't. Like Medtronic and Boston Scientific don't give you as part of the service, part of that products. And they may, they, they may do that in some cases, but the, the point of the illustration is like the, the, there's a disconnect between, uh, the technology and, and the way that the technology has advanced, but the ability to use it from a customer side of things, or in this case, a patient side of things, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't quite align, right? So a company like a Best Buy has this incredible platform that they can use to, to try to level that out. Uh, and if Best Buy is good at it, the, the, the likelihood of them producing new revenue and a whole new work stream for them dramatically changes their business. If they're not, a startup comes in and does it, eats their lunch, grows, and then probably eventually gets bought by Best Buy or somebody right. like it because, you know, they've figured out how to do it and scale it. So yeah, that's super cool. I, I I do think that um I'm kind of a I'm kind of a techie in the way that um I I'm not always up to date on like the newest like TV and all that stuff, but I love the biometrics market of things. Like my little watch that I wear that, um, you know, is a, is a biometrics deal where it's, you know, it's heart rate, it's sleep. It's all, I love it. Yeah. Like, I'm like addicted to it. Like <laughs> I won't start a workout. Like I'll kind of panic if I start a workout. I'm like, oh shoot, I forgot to start my watch. Like, yeah. I, like I want, I want this weird data that like tells me how many calories I'm burning, what, what my target zones are like. And that's just, that's me. Like, yeah. And, and I suppose that every, I mean, every phone has one of these deals and every, so I think that's a really interesting market to um, that Best Buy is sort of getting into. And I know this, I'm looking at it from like a fitness standpoint, but, yeah. you know, from a in a larger health market, um, I'm sure there's a thousand different devices like that, that. Absolutely. That older people have like, I don't know what this does. Yeah. I don't and that's, know how to read this. <laughs> that actually kind of reinforces the earlier comment on, you know, who is creating those devices. Fitbit and, and all of the others, they're basically all Bay Area companies. And so it was somebody that was it was a it was an ecosystem that's super good at the combination of uh, consumer product looks sexy, produced all this cool data, uh, and was able to kick it out. But then what do we do with it? And that's that's that was where a lot of the utilization and and adoption fails with those products is like physicians don't want to see it because they don't know what they're looking at. Right, uh, users. You know, eventually they see the same thing, or their their behaviors aren't changing. Not given meaningful information to change or or improve their lives. Enter in people in this market who actually know what they're looking at, and can turn that type of data into a business and and produce change. That's the those are the types of businesses that we can do all day here. Uh, what to do with information as it relates to healthcare, mm-hmm. um, and and it's funny because. You know, you need you kind of need each other uh, to ve- to develop that one on the hardware side and and one on the what do you do with the information the software side of things, um, and collectively we can actually create the you know the experiences that th- that was intended for mm-hmm. in the first place. So, what are the companies and what are the areas are you most excited for going forward? Like what what's kind of percolating under the surface as far as Twin Cities tech that kind of gets you. Up yeah. in the morning, you're like, "Oh hell yeah, I'm really excited about this company or this innovation." I so we recently kind of opened the doors on uh, 
the startup side of things. So we have we finished our first close, which means enough investors have said we want to support Groove Capital, like go. So money's in the bank, and and we're investigating startups now to make investments in. Um, half of them are are healthcare, uh, and and with a majority of those kind of in the device space. And that's just like what we do here. Mm-hmm. We we have just an abundance of people that leave Medtronic or are serial entrepreneurs themselves um, that that come up with new solutions and, and, and try to build businesses that are device related. So that one is just kind of like, we do that in our sleep and that's not gonna change anytime soon. Um, what is emerging uh, is thankfully a, a lot of different buckets. I, I, we, we are badasses at sports and fitness tech. Um, the, the, the really? ca- yeah, the case in case in point, there's a company called, uh, sport engine, yep, which we use. Okay. My family uses, you're, you're familiar with yeah. it. Yeah. So that was started here. Yeah. Uh, and it was started by, I believe four co-founders from Eau Claire. Uh, they were all college friends. Um, who slowly built up an empire of of you know the the platform for non professional sports leagues, and they built it super well, uh, and built the company to a point where it ended up getting acquired by NBC. I think two or three years ago it was, mm-hmm. it was fairly recent, and so that was I don't know the exact number, but probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, from an exit perspective, you know, hundreds of employees that have worked there, like the most beautiful startup tech, uh, you know, space in town. Like it's awesome. They had like a bleacher that they did their, you know, Monday morning meetings at. So like they totally nailed it. Um, You know, so that what that what that does is it signals to other entrepreneurs, hey, this is something that we can do here. You know, we can build a practice at this. Um, and, and then people who worked there leave and then they go build their other businesses. Right. Uh, because and they've so seen sort of tentacles off like that's, that. That's right. Um, so, sports and fitness is a great one. Uh, our financial services uh, strengths is, is getting really, really dangerous. Um, Sezzle is, is a great example of that. Um, that's a company that. Um, we got the chance to work with with this organization Beta that I that I co-founded prior to Groove Capital, um, but it was when I met them it was a team of like three or four people. Uh, fast forward four or five years, they've IPO'd and now have a couple hundred employees. And they do what? Uh, so on on a checkout for an e-commerce site, let's say you're buying a sweet um, uh, a, a sweet like jacket. It's a you know thousand dollar purchase, but you don't want to put the cash in up front. What they do is they intercept the 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 point at where you're in the checkout, and they divide. They they basically say, okay, Ben wants to Ben wants to pay for this over four increments. Hmm. So they they do a quick calculation, uh, and then they basically say, okay, yeah, you you qualify. You can uh, you can buy this jacket and pay us four equal installments. With no interest fee, so it doesn't cost you extra for the service. Um, what they've done is behind the scenes just calculated the risk that you're likely to pay, um, and then worked with the the e-commerce site in order to provide you know uh, increased sales by by offering a alternative checkout solution. 
Oh, so, okay. So like Nordstrom. Yep. So if I go into Nordstrom, they have their partners with this company. It's called what? Sezzle? Yeah, Sezzle. So Sezzle goes to Nordstrom. Hey, this is what we do. Nordstrom's like, cool. Once, once people hear about this, that'll bring more people in. Because now people will feel like, oh, well, Nordstrom's not just a high-end retailer that I can't afford. I can actually afford this and make installments on it and not be charged extra. Exactly. And and it's and then they get a kickback from Nordstrom. Yeah. The business model is, is powered by the e-commerce website uh, in this case. Um, an, another example from a, the financial services space is a company called Branch. They're they have an IPO'd, but it's a great company, like fully on its way there. Uh, and that is another payments situation, but this case in, uh, on the side of the kind of hourly workers. So if I'm a shift worker at Target, um, you know, traditionally I get paid every two weeks based on whatever hours that I've, that I've earned. And what Branch has done is basically gone in, worked with Target in this case, and said, well, what if we paid them like at the end of every day? You know, as they were working, they could get compensated for the work that they did, which helps a lot of people in those scenarios who may not have the luxury of waiting two weeks to pay a bill that's due tomorrow, right? So they've created this opportunity to, you know, essentially real-time pay uh, for, for hourly workers, and they're totally crushing it. Uh, that's a great idea. Right. It, yeah, and it's... It, they're super complicated businesses, but you know, at the in the essence, like get paid faster. That's pretty simple. You know what's interesting about that, and I'll 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 um I'll connect the dots with with the professional sports leagues and in in, let's say the NFL. So one of the biggest things with the NFL that they run into problems with when it comes to you know how do we get these players and empower them and and educate them on the fact that. Your, your paycheck has to last the whole year. And I think a lot of people know this, but I'll just say it again. NFL players only get paid for the season. Yeah, like by game, right? Yeah, we, we, get, we get checks every other week. Yeah, okay? okay. And so we actually get paid for 17 weeks because we still get paid for the bye week. So you get 17 weeks. Um, so you get a paycheck every other, every other week. Um, but then once your season's over, <laughs> that's it. You know, there is no paycheck. Yeah. So a lot of these guys will look at this this basically yearly prorated check and it's a gigantic check. You know, yeah. it's like, holy shit. I can't, like, I, I can't believe how big this check is. Yeah. Right. And then, the, and, and so they go out and they, they, they use it and they burn it as if like, well, I've got, I've got eight more checks coming. In, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's no big deal. And they get in this mode where like, it just feels good. And you got money burning your, in your pocket and they go out and the next thing you know, it's March. And they're like, Oh crap. Like I haven't had a paycheck in a couple of weeks. Right. Um, I'm still living this lifestyle. I'm still living this lifestyle. And, and I, and we have always said as, as players, like, why can't we get the, the union and the league and the teams to all agree that, can we have a different payment option? Yeah. You know, interesting. could you pay me for the league year? And I get that there's problems with it because it's like, you could get cut. You know, yeah. that's the, that's the problem with the NFL is like, there's no guarantee. We don't have guaranteed contracts. Right. So, you could be on the team at the start of the new league year in March, yeah, and then not make the active roster in September, yeah. And so, so for that next year's pay cycle, where does that start and stop? Right. And and I do think that there's workarounds, and I think they can figure that out. But I think something like 
branch yeah. would be an awesome option for guys to say and work with, an, uh, let's say, the Vikings and go, well, listen, for those players that want to opt into this program, right, yep. we'll take their yearly check and we'll give it to them on a weekly basis. Right, yeah. <laughs> or we'll give it to them on a monthly basis throughout the whole year. Yeah. And if they get cut, well, then we just give them one one lump sum of what they're what they're due and what they're owed, right? And 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 you're free and clear of uh, off your books. yeah. I love that, and and you know maybe you have an idea for a business yourself there, Ben. Uh, <laughs> financial services uh, startup. But like like you said earlier, <laughs> most of those people have experience in those in those fields. I have zero experience. No, but you have industry experience. Like you know the problem and the pain point. That's that's very real. Like startup experience is good. I look at this with our own investments, like there's a difference between startup experience and industry experience. And and if I had to pick between the two of which one I favor more, it's industry. Because mm-hmm. like, you know that pain, you know how it works, you've experienced it yourself. Like you can find people that, uh, and that's part of what, you know, Groove Capital is 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 there to help the entrepreneurs. It's like, how do we, how do we build the company out of this? Um, so... It's very rare, in addition to that previous comment, it's very rare that you're working with, uh, you know, a sole entrepreneur. I think the, like, go it alone, um, you know, Zuckerberg visionary execution person is such uh, uh, an exception. It's almost always teams. It's two to three people. Um, and they balance each other, right? So in in our hypothetical uh, payments uh, professional payments platform, you know, you're the, you, you know, you're the CEO or, or the product person that helps figure out what the vision is. You surround yourself with a technical person that can help figure out how does it actually work. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I look at that as like, and maybe this is a really simplistic way to look at it, but I look at what my example that I just used uh, involving branch is like, that's really something that I think is just is something to implement from within each company. You know, like yeah. why wouldn't the Vikings want to look at this and say, "Well, this has been a, this has been a problem for a lot of players for a number of years, generations, where guys right. guys can't budget their money, and they look at it and they're like, and and I think a lot of organizations say it's not our problem. Right, you know, yeah. what these guys do with their own individual budgets not our problem. Yeah, but you can be part of the solution to say like, well, hey, we recognize this problem, and we're going to help out our players. And so if you come to this, if you come to our 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 team, you have this option of just like you can have your normal payment plan or you can have this extended payment plan throughout the year. And that's just something I feel like they can do a payroll. Like, yeah, you know, right. In, yeah. It's a, like, an extra box that you check. Yeah, just like, like okay, split I'm going to check this box. Yeah. We don't need to hire a third party service to do this for us. Like, we'll just basically take this guy's salary and his contract, divide it up into 12 equal payments, right. or 24 equal payments, and just pay him. Yeah, like it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. But you know, but your your um, example of branch, you know, led me down this path of like, that's such a that's such an easy thing that, and I'm glad they figured out that problem for for hourly wage workers. Yeah, same thing can be said in professional sports. Yeah, you know, budgetary problems exist at all every level. You know, it's. The the example that you're sharing illustrates like it's it could easily be done by the powers that be, but it it just doesn't happen. And so when those situations arise, it 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 can often be the the group outside of that entity to be like, well, 
we'll just go around and create this own solution for ourselves. So, um, you know, that's, that's where the like birth of a startup usually starts is like, Hey, this, you know, this cargo ship is too big to pivot. Like, let's do something smaller and do exactly what we want to do and go solve this problem. And boom, you know, you've, you've, you've helped people in a way that, that the bigger entity wasn't capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where is, on a, on a national sense, where, where is Minnesota and the Twin Cities in the tech world? Oh, man. Um, because you mentioned Silicon Valley. Everybody knows that that's, yeah. like, that's the number one incubator for if you have ideas, if you have this. Like everybody talks about Silicon Valley. Um, Austin, Texas is another one. Yep. A lot of tech companies are going there. Uh, a lot of a lot of California companies are moving to Texas because of right. political reasons and tax reasons. Um, but there's but they seem to have high edu- highly educated people. Um, there's incentives there um, to to grow businesses. Uh, you know, out, outside of those of of my mind, like yeah. what are the other major metro areas and in, in places around the country, and where does Minneapolis fit in? in yeah. So the, I mean, the majority of of the focus is on the coast, primarily Silicon Valley. So you mentioned those the the diaspora that is you know the current situation in the Bay is is real, and and the data that that uh, I've been watching is suggesting that you know we're we're getting those people and we're getting a surplus. There's more people coming here than there are leaving um, for tech related jobs, which is great because that means we have more talent and the more ability to start companies that I want to invest in. So the trends are favorable. However, there is a difference between what's happening here and what's happening in places like Denver, Austin, or even like Bozeman or Boise. Like the people that are leaving the the, the Bay Area, they generally are going to places that are of similar or warmer climates. Miami is another one of those. So we, Miami's kind of an emerging tech big time. Really? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me, uh, and I don't know if it's going to last. From a, other than a tax perspective, it makes sense. Yeah. But the other conditions in Miami doesn't seem like it's a sustainable solution for them to be, you know, long-lasting startup hubs. We have the gift and the curse of our climate. Uh, It's cold here. I don't know if you noticed that. (laughs) Uh, And so most people don't want to be here because it's too cold. Uh, And so by nature of our climate, we, I I believe like we truly keep out a lot of people and talent that we just will never attract. Um, And that's, that sounds bad, but I would make the case that it actually it forces us to build things in a way that's more sustainable, lasts longer, is more durable for long-term success. Like we're not going to have the problems with rent soaring um, and development just like completely consume like what's happening in Denver or Austin right now because we're never going to get that flood of people because Mm -hmm. of how cold it is here. And so we can grow at a rate that's sustainable. So you're saying basically overhead costs, like you don't have to worry about overhead costs on starting a business because we have we have a supply of it. Like yeah, have- it, if you put the exact same business, you know, here or 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 in the bay, the cost for the talent here is going to be a third or a half of what you'd pay 
in in that in the mm-hmm. Bay Area. And so if we're working on the same things, we both have the same ability to be successful depending on the business. Um, it costs me half as much to do it here yeah. to produce the same result. So I, I think I would argue, and I think a lot of data is now suggesting like investments in middle America are really great investments. They're value investments. Yeah, because you can probably put more resources in the actual product or service that you're, exactly. you're building. Yep. And, and you know, you can bootstrap longer because it's not as expensive to do it here. And, you know, bootstrap just means like you're paying your expenses out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, it's you just can't do that in those markets where everything costs three to four times as much. How, uh, is, this, how is our state supporting this idea? How, how is our legislature, how is the, our, our representatives, uh, the laws, is it favorable for somebody to come in from outside and say, hey, I want to create a business in Minnesota? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on, on the tax situation. From what I've heard uh, from a business perspective, it's not great. Um, however, uh, we do have programs that are super important and are very helpful And specifically, um, we have the angel tax credit, which I referenced earlier. Uh, That's providing a financial incentive for people to actually invest in this stuff, which totally matters. That's a a good program. Uh, The problem with that program is it's based on the legislature. So, you know, depending on what's happening in the House and and Senate, uh, you know, it can get shot down. So last year we didn't have it. This year we do. And if it's just kind of clicking on and off every other year and not a dependable resource, it actually it, it gums up the mechanics of our, our own growth. So that part kind of sucks. Um, the other thing that the state's doing really well is uh, I think Governor Walls did a good job of uh, appointing Steve Grove as our uh, 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 the commissioner of the Department of Economic and Employment Development. development. Yeah, yeah, the deed. Um, he's great. Uh, he moved here recently. He grew up here, uh, but he he built his career in the Bay, um, I think majority at Google. And so he comes here with the tech mindset and the startup mindset. And I think that's going to be a really important influence on uh, how we continue to, to create resources for entrepreneurs to be successful. The, you know, case in point, they launched a program shortly after he became uh, the commissioner uh, called Launch Minnesota. And what Launch Minnesota does is it basically builds uh, an, an interstate re- resource network to say, okay, where are the investors? Who are they? Um, where are the accelerators? Uh, and, and who runs them? Um, you know, where are the mentors? And 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 how can we connect them with entrepreneurs? And it's kind of building an infrastructure of resource sharing. Mm-hmm. That didn't exist before. So programs like that are not costly, but they actually have a really important impact. Um, and, and so, you know, depending on where you fall on a political spectrum, like you can get lost on like the costs and 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 who's paying for it, what incentives it in creating. And, and like, I think that's a distraction Personally, this is my, my my opinion that, you know, at the end of the day, like if we can help entrepreneurs remove some of the barriers in it, that are in the way of them starting in the first place or building a successful company, we need to do that and we need to do more of it. 
And there's ways to do that that uh, are sustainable financially and, and mutually beneficial for communities that are urban and rural. So it doesn't need to be political, but unfortunately it, it becomes. Yeah, everything everything, everything, be, yeah. everything becomes political. Yeah. I mean, so in, in your... In your mind, how do how do we as a community get the word out? You know, if if there's a problem with if there is a problem with kind of going to the highest mountaintop and screaming across the country saying yeah. like, "Hey, come here! If you've got an idea, you've got this. You want to start a business, or like, or just like, hey, we have we have a we have a great community of really smart people, yeah, and and people that that can support whatever you're doing." What's the best way to do that? The short answer is to buy their product. Um, if if you if everybody kind of paused in their you know purchasing consumptions to redirect it to the startup, like we would see a dramatic change. And I'll give you a specific example. Uh, there's a company called Upsy that's here in town. It, there's a CEO that runs it, a gentleman a gentleman named Clarence Bethia, total badass. Um, had a background of working at a retailer where, you know, you buy the big TV and they try to sell you the insurance plan on it. Yeah. Those things are totally screwed up, like, and a complete scam. So this guy took that and basically built the, like, well, I'm going to do this in a way that's actually good for people and provide them with the same insurance, like, in case it breaks, but not charge them an arm and leg and totally screw them in the process. So there's companies like that that exist that that we can use just takes a little bit extra time unfortunately to like you know really explore all of the options and so um first number one uh explore and and buy their products the second part is like talk about it i think Mm -hmm. the more that we talk about this type of stuff the less unknown it becomes like you know if we're out to dinner uh, and instead of talking about uh, our kids or our, you know, trip to the cabin, which is where a lot of the conversations go, like in other more sophisticated startup markets, they talk about startups. They talk about the things that they're excited about, the things like, that they hey, might invest hear, in. Hey, yeah, I heard this. I heard this product. Exactly. I heard this, this deal that here, here's an app that I guess will start it here. Let's, yeah. Okay. So if you love something, like talk about it. Uh, and and share it with your friends, and and the more that they become familiar with these other things, I think the more we'll see our companies be successful. So, um, I think that's I, I think that's all great, and I think that would help. But that just seems like a really slow way to get the voice out. Sure, you know, and like, is, is there? Let, let me throw a third one at you then. Yeah, um, educate. Uh, and this is specific to in- investors. So the hardest part about making an angel investment is doing the taking the first step. Like it's it has all these different complications, but just like deciding to do it in the first place is really the ba- the barrier. And that means something different to each person. So the first step that I would encourage people to to t- to take is like find somebody else that's doing it. Ask them what do they do or how did they get involved. Um, there's a lot of organizations that exist out there that provide like, hey, are you interested in like come to our 
Zoom session. I hosted one last week with a whole bunch of angels who are investing in a bunch of different things. And we had a conversation that was just basically, why do you do what you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what have you learned from the process? And so there's a lot of content that exists out there that if, if, if your first step is simply like go attend a beta information session, go to Groove Capital, uh, it's GrooveCap.com, go to GrooveCap.com uh, and, you know, like ping the website and I'll, I'll point you in a direction that can, that can help you familiarize yourself with like what is this all about and why should you do it. But taking that first step to uh, at least educate yourself further that's scalable. That's something that everybody can spend 10 minutes doing today uh, to figure out if, if they're in a position where this makes sense for them. Um, and then continue to ask questions. And I think the more questions you ask, the more you'll direct yourself to the right way to do it that fits you mm-hmm. know, whatever you're looking to do. What about broadcast media? Are, are local news channels, um, the big affiliates, does, uh, you know, local radio stations that have big voices, do, do they have an interest in, in promoting local startups? Not just, and I'm not just talking tech. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm saying from a, um, you know, what is that? There's the, the, that company that is making, you know, bamboo toilet paper. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You know that one. Yeah. So all, all of a sudden now, you know, not, not, not a tech company, yeah. but you know, it's kind of a fun, kitschy little new thing that's out there. They're becoming a little bit more successful. Um, is there like in the broadcast media, do they have segments on, Hey, what's hot? What's new? What, yeah. What's trending in Minneapolis as far as um, something that's new so we can buy local and we can support local. Yeah. There's is there anything like that. Five years ago, no. The answer was no. It was just like not part of the conversation. That has very much changed. And so there, there are pockets of that that exist. Um, you know, Twin Cities Business has sections devoted to what's going on in the startup scene. Um, and that's, that's, that's become very sophisticated and, and they've dedicated resources to having people cover the beat. Uh, the Star Tribune right now is doing the exact same thing. They're hiring for a reporter on this subject, which is a huge opportunity for this community. Broadcast and, and television, like there are certain segments. There's, a, there's, there's, there's some radio stations that kind of have like the Saturday roundup. But it's, you know, it's kind of spotty. It's intermittent. Again, it's just not like the normal conversation that we have as a business community. Mm-hmm. A lot of the attention is focused on, you know, where the majority of the people are working and making money, which is our corporate uh, focus. So I think, you know, I've taken it upon myself to, to be available for reporters who are interested in, in digging into this. And I know others are as well. And our goal is to like, make it easy. Like, if you want to know what's happening in different, in, in different sectors, like, there's a few, you know, two dozen people in this community that I can point you towards that are just like, if you want to know what's happening in this pocket, you should talk to this person. Right. Um, and, you know, they thankfully like are covering whole, a bunch of different types of businesses, representing a number of communities here that all deserve equal voices. Um, and you just have to know where to look. Uh, yeah. and, and if you can find, um, you know, or, organizations that can help kind of navigate you to those people, then we'll do the work for you. Yeah. 
because I think when you go back to like the things that, how do we get this information out? How do we get people to know? And you say like, let's have a conversation. Like let's, instead of going out to dinner and talking about your cabin, let's talk about this new product that so-and-so just consumed or whatever, this new app or this new piece of tech or this whatever. Um, I feel like the best way to do that is like somehow get that into the minds of the actual consumers without having to go to a specialized website, you know, um, you know, even take my, my wife, for example, she would just be on Instagram just scrolling. Right. Yeah. And if there, and if there was a, you know, if there was a, um, a Minnesota based uh, Instagram that, that basically curated, hey, here's all the emerging tech retail, this, yeah. that. And like, I think that's how people start conversations these days. Right. It's just kind of like you see it on social media somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, instead of like, you know, it, it, it would be nice if a if a, uh, a big broadcast company in town did have a, a Saturday morning deal or a, 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 one of the local talk shows did like a once a week or even maybe once a month. Yeah. Because I, I can't imagine emerging techs happening and emerging products and stuff are happening all the time. Right. But if it's just something that like, hey, we, here's our favorite new buy local um, companies. Yeah. Um, and look out for these things. And if you see it, you know, support it and talk about it and spread the word. Like, I I think those small steps would go a long way in the long run as yeah. far as getting the conversation out there. Especially just, you know, if, if it's something that you're regularly encountering, you know, every impression is going to help you become mm-hmm. more and more aware. There are, and there are some really great um, newsletters, Twitter, uh, you know, Twitter handles to follow um, that are, that are doing a really great job of, of monitoring things that are happening, particularly by vertical, like tech.mn is one that I can't live without because mm-hmm. um, it's tech-focused fo- tech and, it's, and it's, it's local. Like that's my news source for, yeah. for all things, you know, kind of tech and startup. But same thing is this for healthcare with Medical Alley. You know, the Food and Egg has uh, – the Food and Egg vertical has something called Grow North. So there are these organizations that kind of are are – trying to be the champions of entrepreneurs within their verticals. And, and so it, it doesn't take too much of an effort to discover what those pockets are and where to find them. And then once you kind of link into their email newsletters or their Twitter feeds um, or Instagram or whatever, you can get a good good sense of the pulse. Yeah. Well, let me um, – so as you wrap this up, let's uh... – Let's get those those things that you're talking about. You sure. Just hand them over. Like, let me you know, give them to me in some sort of way, and so I can put it on the on the show notes. So yeah. when people will see this the podcast, at least they can click on a hyperlink or something. At least give them some of those buckets and, and some of those things, uh, along with uh, GrooveCap.com. Right? Is that correct? That's Groove- right. Yep. So um, also, you know, want to thank you and support you and what you guys are doing because. You know, you guys are doing something that that is new uh, in this market and that needs to be done. Like you guys are, you know, kind of like what your your little series is is about. It's like you are filling this gap that we need when mm-hmm. it comes to, hey, I've got a great idea. I'm I'm super entrepreneurial. I want to take this idea, but yet um, there's no money. You know, like how do we even how do we even get to the point where we're where we can have a proof of product? Um, yeah, and you guys are are there to help people do that. So. Yep. Yeah, it's all about identifying great entrepreneurs and giving them the resources to be successful. Yeah, and I, and I want to do everything that I can, you know, with my you know small but seems like growing audience to like let everybody know that that 
the Twin Cities in Minnesota is not just a great place to raise a family and not just that we have, hey, look at our shiny Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies, but this is a great incubation community for new ideas. And, and it's, I'll, I'll add, it's not just new ideas. Generally speaking, it's new ideas that make the world a better place. Yeah. Like if we build healthcare companies, food companies, financial services, like that's the backbone of society in keeping them safe and and building great lives. Yeah. So it's not just financial. Like we have an opportunity to make the world a better place by supporting these companies. Well, and, and even a company like Sports Engine, you know, they that's a convenience that can that's a convenience company that um, they they saw a need for us parents. Yeah, you know? that's right. And we and we have we have we've got three dif- we've got three kids in in multiple dis- different local so- associations yep. and these associations all subscribe to sports engine right and on my one app i can like where is some yeah <laughs> i got the, i got my kids <laughs> yeah. schedules for all my for all my kids activities yep. and it's just like so even that world where we ha- we have the the people the minds the innovation to like even make our lives just easier yeah. You know, and, and I'm not not this is, you know, that app and that company is not saving lives, you know, <laughs> but they're just. Yeah, but they're, they're also you're getting kids out and like building all of those other, you know, intangibles that come with participating in sports. Right. Yeah. You know, like building relationships, helping them stay healthy and all that other stuff. So it, that's just what we do here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and that's exciting because, you know, I'd r- much rather support companies that 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 are doing that than, you know, dumping our cash into some uh uh some business that is you know I'm gambling my life away uh in, in the process of you know betting on whatever like that's just not what we do yeah and I and I do love this idea and I think through through the covid situation a lot of bad has happened but I think a lot of good has happened and a lot of restructuring perspectives has happened and you know from a national standpoint we're looking at our country saying, hey, how do we how do we go within to support ourselves? And not yeah. in a selfish way, but re- realizing that we should become more autonomous in, in different things. You know, e- even if it's just the medical supply chain, like why do we always have to look towards Puerto Rico for ventilators or China for a number of products? Why can't we manufacture stuff here right. in the United States? So take that a step further. Why can't we do stuff locally? Yeah. You know, why can't we support more locally? You know, obviously the big box companies, we all know those. But whatever we can, I think I think our community is unique in that way that we are so prideful. Like, we're not much different than than Texas in that way. Like, all my <laughs> yeah. buddies from Texas, dude, they love telling people they're from Texas. Right, yeah. Like, they have so much Texas pride. Like, that, <laughs> that whole idea, that old adage of them, like, wanting to break off and be their own country, yeah. I think still it's exists. Real. Yeah. Like, it's real. They still want to, like, be their own country. Yeah. In in a in a large way, I think people from Minnesota are kind of the same way. I would agree. Like they wear that badge of honor of living in Minnesota because it is a harsher climate, but also because I think on the economic side we have so much to be prideful about. Yeah, you know we have this very smart community. We have these big companies, and I think everybody loves to say like, "Oh yeah, we not only have these major sports teams, but guess what." We've got all these huge companies that yeah. have world headquarters right here in our backyard. Yeah. And I think that's something to be um, to be proud of. And I think that we need to look more uh, more within our borders for for our resources and just for like 
convenience living and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I, I it's hard to be in the middle of uh, of this work, but what keeps us going is knowing that you know we are building the next target. We're building the next Medtronic. We're building the next UHG. And in 20, 30 years from now, we can look back on this time and know that this started during this time yeah. and, and and hopefully started as a result of the efforts that we put in to, to give entrepreneurs resources to be successful. So I, I firmly believe this is that time period where we're producing the next one or two or three of those. Um, but we always have to kind of think in the long-term scales, particularly in venture, where it's going to take time for us to get there. But let's make sure that we're planting those seeds. Yeah. Well, I love it, man. Um, thanks. I yeah. appreciate the time. <laughs> it's been super educational. And I urge everybody to go out. And on, again, on the, the show notes, I'll put some of those those um, those websites on there where people can just have a one-stop resource of clicking like what's cool, what's new in, in the tech world, in this particular health tech world and all that stuff. So um, I'll put those in the show notes. And, uh, you know, thanks again, everybody, for for listening, supporting Unrestricted on uh, on all your platforms. Please uh, like, comment uh, on, on everything. And remember, a lot of the comments, I'm thin-skinned, so be very careful about what you say. <laughs> Although it's all, all very important. Uh, I want to thank Pick and Shovelware, pickandshovelware.com. Uh, 20% off your first order with the promo code LIEBER, L-E-B-E-R. Also, Wexford Harbor Insurance. Uh, Pat Kelly and his staff, uh, for over 40 different uh, insurance companies that he can help find uh, the best value for you and your company and your family. And last but not least, uh, Douglas and Todd Bourbon. Uh, douglasandtodd.com go there there's a store locator find the the very best speaking of local local bourbon um, that won a, an international gold medal for for its taste and its product made right here in the great state of minnesota uh, so thank uh, i want to thank all them and then last but not least uh, dave yeager uh, my good buddy that helps put all this stuff together and make it sound great so anyway thanks for listening everybody i'll talk to you next week Bye.